Welcome to the Everything Early Childhood podcast designed for approved providers, nominated supervisors and other childcare leaders. This fun, lighthearted and very serious podcast features weekly episodes on strategy, advice and conversations with fascinating and inspiring people from across our sector. Join the journey and have access to the tools and inspiration you need to create high-performing childcare businesses. Let's get started. Hello, friends. Welcome to this week's podcast of Everything Early Childhood. My name is Lisa and I am your host. And today is another solo episode. I promise you all, I know how much you love our guests. I've got plenty lined up, just need to schedule the time to get them on and record our episode. Now, today's episode, the inspiration from today's episode comes from centres, my conversations with educators as always, and my own experience throughout my journey of early childhood. And for me, I see things again, looking at it through that curiosity lens. And one of the things that I was always challenged by was boys. And so one of the things that I often hear in early childhood services is it is the boys. The problem is the boys. It's the boys. And there's a lot of research that's been developing and um, coming up recently around the disadvantages for boys in education in general. And so I wanted to discuss that and talk about that a little bit and maybe share some information and some knowledge to start that conversation with understanding a little bit more about boys, their biology, and how they really are different to girls. And we've done such a beautiful job in early childhood and we are continuing to you know, enforce and embed that in all of our practices to ensure that we are you know, not racially discriminating, not gender stereotyping, and we are so much more open and fluid and um, welcoming to our individual humans because not just are boys or girls different, but every single human is so, so different. So what I want to talk through today and to work through today is, you know, rough play. What is rough play? Why do why do they need it? The sticks, the guns, the caves, the superheroes, the biological factors influencing it. And it really is true. So, you know, we've got the book Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. And whilst it's a really simple way to state that, it really is true. All the way down from our, our bodies and how they developed to our anatomy, to our biological urges. Um, and yeah, so physical, biological, and of course, behavior as well. And I think a lot comes back to our own biases. So it's really important to make sure that you are looking within yourself and really challenging yourself as an educator and a practitioner to think about where are they coming from? Like what are your internal biases and how are they showing up in your everyday practice? So I remember when I first became a teacher, I was like, I love working with girls. If you could just give me a whole class of girls, a whole group of girls, I'd be like, amazing. And so, but over time, and we had this really beautiful group of boys. Um, at that time, I noticed, you know what, girls, they just sit there, they talk, they're independent, they just um, play, like they're happy just to sit there and like tinker around and build and, and have conversations and they're so beautiful and pretty and 
Um, I just remember how calm the girls were. And so very early on, I, I saw the differences, whereas the boys, they were very rough and tumble and, and had to keep touching each other, stop touching each other. Um, and I remember so often, I was like, oh my God, like, why don't they just sit still? And those challenges just rang so true to me. So when I started to have this group of boys and I did a lot of research myself around that time to really build my own knowledge and my own understanding with what is it that boys need? Like, what is it? How do I get through to them? How do I build that relationship? And once you build a relationship with a with a little boy, it is the most beautiful relationship and it's solid. Once you're in, you're in and you're the person and they will never, ever forget that. But what I want to work through is giving you some strategies to add to your practice with how to actually build those connections in your service with those boys. and. The reason this has come back up again is obviously the conversations that I've been having, but when was it? I don't know. A little while ago, there was this, it was in a podcast. I can't even remember which one it was, but it triggered it because they said that boys are going through the education system. They're so disadvantaged. And they said, and and they were curious, like, why? Like, why are they disadvantaged? And so they saw a a number of different reasons. One, that the education system is not built for boys um, in the context of the environment, having to stay within four walls, sitting at a desk all day, being still. Um, The second thing was that there aren't, well, there still aren't as many male teachers as they are female teachers. So what that means is that boys' behaviour, and I put that in like parentheses, is that right? Yeah. Boys' behaviour was seen as quite extreme and was less tolerable because female educators didn't don't and didn't understand boys and what their needs were. And their needs were not being met in that environment. So, and also the third factor in that is the boys were having limited exposure and understanding to male influences and male role models in in our life. And what's I'm so grateful that I'm surrounded and have different services when we have multiple male role models. And what surprised me, and I don't know why, I guess this is my own bias and really challenging my own bias and being curious that in the services where we do work with males, we've had four males, five males um, in certain services and they're all different personalities. So there's no, I guess, stereotypical male that comes in, works in early childhood. Every single male is so different. And of course, I have my associate, Jake, who I work um, alongside. And, you know, he they are, they're just, so, every one of them, so different and such different personalities. So again, just really letting go of what any stereotype is and coming forward with, you know, what does that human being have to bring forward? But if, yeah, with males, it's so important and with any child to make sure that we're looking at them as an individual. But males um, or boys, I should say, need particular things. So Maggie Dent does a lot of work around raising boys. She's a mum of boys herself. So it was obviously from that curiosity lens that she saw that they can be a little bit tricky and looking after the little boys and adolescent boys and giving them what they needed. 
Um, she was also a school counsellor. So she saw a lot of boys going through those adolescent years, maybe not getting what they needed in that school system from, you know, female teachers, because those are the role models that they're seeing every day. And we have to think now with divorce rates increasing, that potentially some boys and don't have any male role models in their life at all. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I don't think that that is a big impact. It is important, I think, because everybody wants to see themselves in something else. So whether it's, whether it's your race, whether it's your gender, whether it's your, like you want to be able to see yourself in an environment so that you can relate. So I think it's really crucial that they do have the exposure to lots of different people. So the first, so Maggie Dent, she talks a lot about it. She says there are some crucial times um, in boys' lives. So she talks about one toddlerhood. So around toddler time that they're biologically wired to become scientists, adventurers and explorers. So using all of their senses to try to discover how the world works. So getting that physical strength. Um, and of course, for us, it can be really exhausting. And they um, and so as they get a little bit older, we'll talk about it in a second. But they just seem to launch off laps, run around, be here, be there, be everywhere. And they're just trying to look at that freedom and use their body and their skills and their muscles to be able to make sense of the world around them. They have these surging energy and surging muscles. And so all they want to do is just test it out, create these hypotheses, you know, and for them to be able to have the intention. But everything is coming from a place of love and they were using to seek their mechanism for the way it was intended. So we need to be able to give them the freedom to be able to do that and have those. And it's a really developmentally normal stage that does pass at that stage. So you could see them at this stage getting up on things, climbing on things, building things, um, all sorts of different things that they keep on building to get higher and higher and higher. Um, and then at four... So you'll notice, and what I notice when I work with boys is that around four years old, really weirdly and specifically, they started to um, be really specific about food and be real. I don't know if you're finding this in your service too, but it was a particular pattern that I started to see. I don't know why. It could be, I'll read you in a second about the the fours, so um, fierce and busy fours. But um, yeah, they started to become really particular about food for some reason and um, they only would eat certain types of food and certain things. And at first we thought it was just peer pressure and other people being around them and their friends. But then it just started to last a little bit longer, but it wouldn't last forever. And then they'll just get over it and then it would just move on. But definitely noticed it around that age. So often at four years old, boys can appear to become really badly behaved. So they're less responsive to any type of guidance and they just get an energy surge. So this is where at four years old, boys get their energy surge um, and testosterone surge that they need to get it out of their system. They start to seek times where they can actually um, physically like, uh, what's the word, like 
get that testosterone out like it's an urge that they need to have touching is an urge um the the dominance like seeking that dominance in a group of males which is a primal instinct and that comes all the way back to i'm gonna say caveman days but um probably before that but yeah it's that primal instinct of dominance um to be able to sort in a group so it's important to make sure that in that in your group of boys that you have in your service one that you're encouraging them to talk about their emotions two that you're listening three that you're giving them lots and lots of space to be able to run around be energetic where they can move their bodies and so at four years old we the simple the muscle and physical strength and hunger to channel their inner biological drives to become warriors, like warriors and hunters. And so they see these superheroes, they want to be these superheroes and that's how they start expressing all of their dominance and all of their strength. Interestingly enough, um, I'll share the article. I was reading an article the other day around boys and when we see boys playing with guns doing the big big muscle movements having capes being superheroes this is their dramatic play it looks very very different to some of our other children and I'm going to preempt this other children who may be in your dramatic place, play area, playing with the dolls, playing with the food, making a kitchen, like boys' dramatic play looks so much different and they are still learning the same skills. They're learning about their strength. They're learning those social skills as they engage and as they interact with each other. They are um, learning how powerful they are. They're learning about their roles in society. They're learning about where they fit into the world. And if we start shifting our lens and instead of looking at it as misbehavior or they're not behaving, they're not listening, instead of – and another person who does a lot of work, and I want to quote it before I quote what they say, is um, his name is Steve – where is he? I wrote it down so I could. Yeah, Steve Bidoff. Um, and he explores what's called like full on fours. Um, and he talks about raising boys in the 21st century. So I'll share that article in the show notes as well for you to read through. But what he says, it's not our job to raise children. It's our job to know children and to get to know children. So once we get to know them, we're there and we give them time, space and freedom to be able to move, um, lots of opportunities to be adventurous and brave and to have lots of moments where they're autonomous and able to make their own choices. So even if this does cause them some physical pain, um, when we talk about risk we talk about what is a hazard. So if it's a hazard, it's something that it will cause injury. But there are learning incidents and learning accidents, which, um, you know, Nikki talks a lot about, actually, Nikki Bukan talks a lot about risk-benefit assessments. So instead of actually not doing that risk we talk or talking about all of the risk minimization and risky things and cause of injury that might occur – she actually flips that and she says, okay, well, what are the benefits of us doing this? And what are the children going to learn from going through those steps to be able to, and what are they going to achieve? And so we need to create those appropriate areas, environments, opportunities for children to be able to get that 
those big, huge testosterone surges out into, out really, out into the world. Um, so when when the windows close, however, they try to contain. So what we do, we try to contain boys, and we, rather than us contain them, we're not giving them the opportunities to get that energetic out. In Montessori, they talk a lot about breathing in and breathing out, and having small bursts of that breathing in and then breathing out and rotating between those times of the day so that they do have that opportunity to have those moments and you're giving them what they need for long periods of time to then going into a breathing in, which is a very short period if you want them to sit still and concentrate. In Italy, I was really, it was interesting because my observations of children in those environments were very, very different to the children that we see here. At the, in the afternoon, like, and I will preface that all of the environments that I went and um, were a part of in Italy were outdoor, like forest kindergartens, outdoor spaces. So they were outdoor for the whole day. And the interesting thing was that in the afternoon, the educator put some, um, they asked, they asked for it, the children. So the children requested to have some, um, some texts and some paper and, and, but it was really interesting to see who was at this experience. And it was actually a group of boys and they were sitting there so focused and concentrating and just so engaged in what they were drawing and what they were, they were doing pre-writing and what they were drawing. There was no one guiding it. It was free and independent learning, but the boys sat there for so long concentrating and we reflected and I reflected a little bit on this observation and I was like, you know what? These boys got what they needed for that entire day that in the afternoon they chose to do that because they had all of that space and all of that time to breathe out before they chose to sit down um, to focus and concentrate. If, if we want boys to sit and concentrate we need to make sure that we're fitting in with them and fitting in with their interests of course this is for all children but particularly boys we need to listen to them we need to really understand them and we need to really be able to relate what they're saying back to their learning so if they're interested in superheroes, how can we incorporate superheroes? Got this story of a little boy. He was really interested or not even at all actually in counting in numbers. And it was something that was really important to the family. So what one of the educators did, they recommended, they said, oh, well, you know what? He loves Spider-Man. So why, why don't you see if you can get a Spider-Man watch? And so this little boy came to kindy wearing this Spider-Man watch. And from that day on, he could not stop talking about numbers. He could not stop talking about his Spider-Man watch and showing all of his friends his Spider-Man watch. So all of his drawings, all of his conversations were then about numeracy and numbers and Spider-Man and this new watch. And you can see like, and I remember really vividly and clearly like these drawings. At first it was like backwards numbers. They weren't in order. And But over time he started to refine and you could see him replicating that watch because he loved it so much. 
boys become obsessed with things and they go through different phases and different periods of these like almost obsessions and if we don't bring those and allow those into the classroom how can we or how are we listening to them and what they need and their beautiful interests so do a lot of research before cutting out superhero play before cutting out um, gun play stick play Um, tumbling and rough play do a lot of research into why and why it's actually a necessary it's a necessity for boys to have that in the environment and what else do you need to in order to support them to become amazing human beings so after four it does settle down a little bit and then it and then obviously they start to get some self-regulation um, and then at eight they start to have another surge so eight years old and so um, Maggie really comments around this age because this is where she met a lot of her boys during her counseling days and they just seemed completely out of character so she explained to the parents that at eight years old that um, he was disappointed in a spelling test and he'd not managed to climb a tree like he'd planned and he just collapsed in a tearful mess and it was intense um, and despair with all of these emotions. And so all he was trying to do is obviously achieve the things that he wanted, but he could not achieve the things that he wanted. And so he started to hear all of those messages from his teachers, which was incredible, and his family and people around him because of those stereotypical boys don't cry well boys do cry and it is okay and we need to start encouraging and being mindful of our biases and how crucial and it might even be unconscious bias so we might not even be aware of our bias so ask people around you can you if I if can you catch me on any biases to raise it to your attention as well so around eight, they start to have another surge. And so they really need to be supported and reassuring in their like to be a grown up boy and with our language. And language is so crucial. If we talk to boys in our crucial years before five around emotions, around how they feel so that they don't feel like it's something, they can be vulnerable and it's, it's, they don't feel like it's something that they need to fear hide or avoid that it's something that is welcomed that is something that is normal about being human and actually on Friday had a bad day on Friday guys and it was really um endearing one of my friends she goes welcome to the real world Lisa welcome to the real world this is where all we live this is called being human Um, and it's true and I advocate we are all human but sometimes we just need that little reminder that it is it's this is what about this is what human is like so and it seems like so at that age they have a hormonal stage called um, adrenarch and that makes boys struggle emotionally around this age so that's eight and it seems that this is very early preparation for their puberty which puberty starts around 12 years of age so their body starts to change everything starts to change um, physically cognitively emotionally socially hormonally and so we really need to be mindful that all of these changes happening at the same time can cause that 12 plus teen boy lots and lots of stress so we don't well I'm a guess lucky 
Um, but if you're a mum, you've got your teen boys there. But if, you know, in early childhood, we have these beautiful moments where we can make such a difference in moulding and shaping and creating that space and that freedom for them to discover who they are. And as I say, this this runs deep within me and I'm so passionate about this because in school, I felt so misunderstood. I was labeled as the naughty kid, like, you know, I was suspended. I, they just didn't understand me. And all that I was, was just seeking out different ways that I could be creative, different ways of thinking. But in a typical public school system, it was not welcomed. They just wanted me to conform to all the rules, but I didn't understand. Even such a young age, I didn't understand why it was necessary or important to do that. And I was forging and forging and forging and fighting and fighting and fighting against um, letting go of who I am. And I, I say all the time, like we do such a beautiful job of building children up to be their individual selves in early childhood. Like this is who they are. They can be themselves. They know who they are. They're confident with who they are. And then we send them to school and we just hope that we have done enough work in those crucial years before five where the most brain development is occurring and those neural pathways are all connecting that they can hold on to that in these systems where they are, where they do need to conform. And there, there are alternate, there are alternate schools um, and independent schools, which are amazing. And I always reflect if I had been educated in a Steiner education, I think I would have really thrived because they really embrace allowing children to be themselves and express themselves creatively. Um, But it's not for all children. And it reminds me of this story. We had a parent that enrolled their child and she came to me. I think I've shared this story really early on before, but this parent, she just touched my heart so much. She she emailed me. She said, look, um, my daughter went to this preschool and it was amazing for her. She got what she needed. It was a Montessori environment, so very quite structured and her daughter loved it, got what she needed. It was amazing and the parent loved it. She said, my husband doesn't want me to change. We love it. And it's where my daughter went. She said, but as a mum, I know that my son is not getting what he needs there. They're not meeting his needs and he's not understood and he's just not thriving in this environment. He's getting in trouble. He's like, every day I come home and I've got messages, uh, you know, there's messages about his day. He hates going. And, you know, I just need to, I need to listen to him and I need to reassess that, you know, okay, maybe this was great for my daughter, but maybe my son as another human being doesn't necessarily mean it's because he's a boy, but my other son, my other child needs something different. So she went out and she looked for that and she looked for something different and she was going to cancel it. She was going to not even come. And I said, look, you've got nothing to lose. Like you've obviously got this intuition that something, your son needs something else or, and your other child needs something else. Like come see what it's all about. And the day that they finished and and he went to school, we were crying. We were both crying with each other because just to see how far he had come and he was an amazing human, kind, considerate, um, generous. 
and to see how his growth and how far he'd come. And I remember when he first started, he was a rule follower. He just followed, 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 followed all the rules. And it didn't take him long before he realized he actually had a voice in this space. He could speak up and he could actually share. And we listened to his voice and to his space. And he had that freedom and that time for us to be able to be able to fulfill what he needed for himself. And so just to see the difference with his journey for the two years that he was with us for to coming from, you know, feeling and and he was when he came, he was quite conformed and um, what word would I say? Um, Conformed and introverted, like just followed all of the directions, like the perfect child. And so, and that makes me sad because I want to see who you are, whether it's a child, whether it's an adult or a human, I want to see who you are on the inside. I want you to show me who you are and all of your beauty and goodness and what you love and what you see and how you see the world. Like what makes you tick? Do you love this? Do you hate this? Like I want to know all these things. And so it was a beautiful journey to be able to see him coming from that child, which it's sad that most services see that that is a blessing for a child to sit and listen, to sit and not speak. And it's so old fashioned to think that children should be seen and not heard. Children need, humans need to be heard. If we want to get out, if we want to get out of them and for them to be you know, amazing humans in our future society, we are raising future humans, then we need to listen and we need to know the children that are with us and give them what they need. So in my research with boys really early on, one of the biggest tips and one of the biggest advice was you need to know about boys outside of school. So, and you need to know facts about them because that's their life and you need to know about their life. So do they play sport? Um, What sport do they play? Who are their friends outside of school? What do they do when they're not at school? And so the, the best thing you can do is if you remember and you write down, oh, okay, Charlie plays football. And so he's, this is football season now. And you can be like, oh, footy's starting soon. Um, You know, how are you going in footy? And then you can say, oh, you got footy this weekend? Yeah, great. Okay. And then on the Monday when they turn up or the next week, whatever day they come, you can be, how'd you go at footy on the weekend? Like that is gold. Like that is where it counts. Boys want to know that you show an interest in them and their life. That is how they make these connections. And this is how they make these connections with you. And the relationship with boys, that is where it starts first. They don't. They won't want anything to do with you if she. If you show fear, if you don't care about them, if you don't want to know about their interests or their obsession, no, they don't want to know about you. Um, and if you don't listen, well, that's it, done. They're not listening to you either. <laughs> so it's really important to make sure that you start with that relationship and build that relationship first. And the way you can do that is the first thing: just finding out about them, finding out about their interests and who they are, and making sure that we leave. So. A big part of boys is that it's overcoming gender stereotypes. 
So we have become more fluid, which is really beautiful. But again, becoming really aware of those biases and how societal expectations of masculinity can limit boys' emotional expression and academic engagement. So we need to make it normal. We need to normalise males having emotions and being able to articulate and verbalise their emotions. And their future wives and their future children will thank you for that. Um, so, and encouraging boys to embrace a broader range of interests and activities beyond the traditional gender norms. And this reminds me actually, I worked with a service recently that did a big investigative project and it's still ongoing to this day. And a good a, a, when you do an investigative project, it's part of your QIP. It makes up everything that you do. And so, the project was they were curious and it came from a question. I love questions and starting with an investigation. So they said, why do we find that in a construction space, it's majority boys? Why are majority of boys spending their time in construction space? Why is it limited to the number of girls in this space? And so they went down at this, they they started to look at, okay, well, why, what could it be? And so one of the things that they looked into was the color of things. So they said, Typically in this space, um, things would be dominant for, you know, I guess stereotypical male, um, you know, with those stereotypes of male, blues, greens. And so, okay, they started to search for things that they would buy or have in this space that were pink, pink, purple. And so they started to have a mixture of these different uh, different colours in this space. So colour was the first thing that they explored. Then, so they started to work through these different reasonings um, and different experiments and hypotheses to work out what it was and why. And it's so interesting that if you see patterns, and this is what critical reflection is, if you see patterns in your service or you have challenges that are coming up, start an investigation. Start to work out why. Why is this occurring? Get that curiosity lens going and, and figure it out. So we need to also empower female educators. So we also need to have and encourage having more male educators um, in our spaces as well and making it a safe um, environment for, for them all to be part of. But really reflecting on the unique dynamics female teachers may encounter when teaching boys and really building strategies for positive relationships with males and creating inclusive learning environments. Because whilst we have different interests as female educators, we also have biases that potentially we don't consider in our environment what boys need. And, and making sure that they're getting what they need. So some tips with how you can build relationships, again, like active listening, really listening attentively when they speak. So whether it's about their interests, concerns or experience, and we need to validate their feelings and perspectives because they probably are not getting that anywhere else and show empathy and understanding actually engage in shared experiences. So there's this little boy at a centre that we look after, that we manage, and he's typically, like there's a group as always in every centre, there's a group of boys. And this particular boy is a challenge. So I was giving the educators a bit of time, um, a breather, let's say, like just a moment, a a Kit Kat moment. And so I was like, yeah, no worries, that's fine. So we just engaged. We were talking, we were sitting, and I was just asking questions. And literally, 
I was just doing an experience with him. And so from that moment of me spending time and that shared time and engaging in that shared experience with him, hooked. After that, he didn't leave my side. He then wanted to, he was holding my hand and he wanted to play this game. And remember that children won't say, a lot of children won't say, I'm sad. A lot of children won't say, um, I've got a stomachache. A lot of children won't say, I'm lonely. Um, a, lot, a lot of, you know what children say? Will you play with me? That is their language and that is their words. Will you play with me? or come and play with me. So when that invitation is extended, take it and take it with open arms because they're giving you that opportunity to build that connection um, with them, particularly for boys. And we need to do that. We need to have shared experiences and opportunities to bond and build that rapport um, with them as we work with them. We need to provide mentorship and guidance. So serve as positive role models. So demonstrate respect and integrity and empathy um, in your interactions and offer guidance and support to help them navigate their challenges and make positive choices. And often I find with boys particularly, They're happy to have suggestions, but they just want to go try it out. Like they just want to try it out. They do not care if they fail. Whereas I find that particularly girls, they're more calculated and they think through things. Boys don't care. If they climb up on this mountain and fall, oh, well, that didn't work that time. I'll just try again and, and try again and try again and try different things until it does work. So and it's funny actually because one of my friends, she's a boy mum and she's got these boys. She's like, Lisa, I spend half my time trying to convince them to do something that's safer. She goes, oh, I'm going to have a heart attack. Like they just keep um, doing this and, you know, riding their motorbikes and, and um, skateboards and bikes and wanting to do all these tricks and jumps. And she's like trying to convince them. She's like, I just, I just try to convince them to do something else and something safer. So just be prepared, a lot of energy. Um, getting their big bodies and big muscles moving. But encourage open communication. So rather than saying, no, we're not doing that. No, you need to come and sit down. It's sit down. You know, over and over I hear all the time, ask your children in your service, what's your least favorite time of the day? And I guarantee they'll say two times of the day, sit down time, which is group time. And then they'll say um, sleep time. Why? Because those are the sedentary times of the day. And I'm challenged by this because I'll have educators and edu- to challenge me and they'll be like, but Lisa, they can't, you know, when you're in a library, you have to sit down and there's things in life you got to line up and there's different things you do as part of your life. It's not always going to be energetic and crazy. And, you know, so that, and I agree, I absolutely agree. But there's fundamentals that you need to build, particularly with boys around that relationship, that interest and those conversations and open communication. They need to know why. They need to know why they need to sit there. They need to know what they're sitting there for. They need to know that it's not just you holding me here captive. They need to be actually interested and it needs to be engaging with what you're going to um, work through. And again, like last week when I was saying, can you do it in a different way? There is so, and what intention and what motivation and what purpose is this group time setting? Is there another way that you can do it in relation to big movements and big muscles? Boys typically are kinesthetic learners, which means they learn through movement. That is how they test out and make sense of the entire world. 
So encourage them to communicate openly all of their thoughts, feelings, experiences, and be receptive to their input. Recognize their strengths. So what are they good at? What's their talents? What's their skills? What's their achievements? And provide opportunities for them to showcase their abilities and contribute meaningfully to the classroom community. Um, Set clear expectations and boundaries. This is so important. And not even just for boys, in general, in your classroom and your classroom management, this is step one. Go back to setting up for a successful classroom podcast with what needs to be in place. This is number one. You need to have clear expectations and boundaries. Make a commitment with your group that they know, okay, this is this is okay. This is not okay. This is why. And this is what this is what happens if I don't do that. So we need to be fair and consistent in our approach um, to those consequences and ensuring that the rules are applied equally to all students. Um, it's really important. And foster a sense of well-being. So have an environment that values diversity where everyone can feel respected and accepted. We want to encourage collaborative and teamwork. So I think boys really struggle to do something on their own because they have an innate need to want to touch, 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 touch and poke and poke and poke. And that is just their nature and they have to do it. So you'll find if you find that you're like, stop touching each other, um, it's normal for boys. Um, And we want to, the more that we encourage that collaboration and teamwork and being part of that team, it helps to really support and uplift each other. And then most of all, be flexible and adaptive. So recognize that each and every child is unique and may respond differently in every various approaches. So have lots of different things in your, I call it a tool belt, where you have all of your strategies and tools that you can pull out and use with them and be willing to adapt your teaching style and pulling out those strategies to meet the individual needs of that child. Now to finish off, I just want to touch on rough and tumble play a little bit. Now there are appropriate things because again, if a child is seeking something out, whether it's a baby, a toddler or, or your preschooler, If a child is seeking something out, rather than saying no, 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 I want you to look a little bit deeper into that and say, why are they doing that? What are they actually, and this is particularly important for babies with anything because they can't tell you. So you need to stop and pause and slow down and take in what they are doing. Let them repeat it. What are they getting out of it? What are they doing? Why are they doing that? Like what in what enjoyment or satisfaction or um, yeah, what are they actually getting out of that? And the example that comes to mind is always climbing, right? It's always climbing, but they climb on everything. They climb inside. Well, that is a very typical indication that they are ready to go outside. If you don't want them climbing inside and you don't have appropriate things inside, which you can, you can move inside if it's too hot or raining, move outside climby things inside, which we used to do all the time and I haven't seen it as much recently. Um, Or it's time to go outside if it's safe to go outside. So we need to make sure we're meeting their needs. It's not up to the child to meet our needs. And so what it does, so rough, rough housing, it can include things such as wrestling, chasing, mock fighting. Um, And while boys and girls engage in rough and tumble to some extent, boys tend to participate in it more frequently 
and intensely than girls. So they've got biological factors. So their um, bodies are obviously different. So they're looking for behaviors with that testosterone surge and relating to that, they look they need to have aggression, dominance, physical activity, which are often exhibited during these rough and tumble times. Um, evolutionary perspective so some evolutionary psychologists believe um, that rough and tumble play in boys may have roots to evolutionary adaptations so engaging in physical activities that mimic fighting and hunting could be conferred survival advantages to males in ancestral environments such as developing strength coordination and social skills and then socialization and gender norms so from an early age boys are often social to be more physically active, assertive and competitive compared to girls. So stereotypical notions of masculinity may encourage boys to express themselves through physical play and test their limits and boundaries through rough interactions with peers. And then peer influence. So boy peer groups may influence and reinforce and encourage rough and tumble play as a normal behavior. Boys can be seen as social cues and norms through interaction with their other friends and engaging in rough and play may be able to be a way for them to establish camaraderie, social hierarchies and bonds with their peers. And that reminds me about bringing in things from home. So boys in particular... They like to have, remember, have that connection with outside of kindy. So when they come in, and it's usually always boys bringing things in, but not always, but boys like their car, they have to carry the matchbox car. But instead of getting them to keep it at home, all they're doing is they're wanting to bring it in to share, to show, this is me, I love cars. Do you love cars too? But they're not going to say that. They're just going to hold their car. And then another friend would relate to them holding their car. So instead of that, just say, hey, well, you know, we, can you bring in more cars so that you can share them with your friends and use them in play? So that rather than saying, don't bring the car, no car, you know, get them to bring in more to share so that their friends can have a turn to, depending on what the challenges are. Like if the challenge is that they won't share, somebody else wants a turn, like it's not fair, which is fine. Life's not fair sometimes, but it's important to encourage them that if that's the, if they're looking for that connection, then if you want that connection, then we need to make sure that we have more so that you can share. And then that child does want to play with you. Now, there are some things that we did do in our service to really um, naturally and I don't even know what word, appropriately um, allow them to express themselves. And it come from a lot of research to be like, okay, well, this is happening. They have a biological need that they need to do it. Um, we're not going to be able to stop it. So how can we allow them to have this time appropriately? So some of the strategies that we put in place were sock wrestling. Um, so you might ask, what is sock wrestling? <laughs> well, it's fun. Um, and us educators, I think, had an um, even better time than the children sometimes. But so you take your shoes off. You have your one sock on and or you can have both socks doesn't really matter it can be two socks and you have two children so really important to establish beforehand some again rules and boundaries and so it has to be only if there's a teacher a safe space so you might have a crash mat or something on the floor where you do it and to create almost like a ring or a squared area there can only be two children in the in the square at a time and so the rules are they need to be on their knees 
they can't touch anything above their, their neck or above. And so they, the idea is that they need to try to get the socks off. So if you, and, and it's so funny because I explain this to people and they're like, oh yeah, I used to do that when I was a kid, sock wrestling. I was like, great, amazing. So why don't we do that anymore? And so they try it and it takes time. Sometimes it gets a bit out of hand to start, but don't give up. Everything takes time, 11 times to be exact, but go over the stop. If it gets out of hand, stop, go back to the rules, talk about it and then start again. Um, another thing that we did was we actually introduced boxing gloves and pads. So boys do just need to get that aggression out. And so what typically happens is that they can lash out at other children. They can lash out at educators. Um, and it's crazy. Like we'll have children biting and punching and kicking and throwing chairs. Like it's crazy. So we need to set up these systems and um, for them to be able to release it, but for it to be appropriate. So when we first did it, oh, they loved it straight away. Um, so they and but eventually, what would happen? They would ask for it. So they knew we had it, and they would start asking for it. They'd be like, "Can we get the pads out? We need to get. Can we get the pads out?" And it was great. They used to take turns, so turn taking, getting the aggression out really, um, you know, appropriately, and it was fun. It was so fun to be able to do that and spend the time with them doing doing boxing so one sock wrestling two boxing and have those um have those materials and strategies there ready to go um it's just like you know um, I call it a calm corner but uh, it makes me sad because it doesn't have to really be in a corner but just you know my example uh, you know what I mean so have a book of different things that you can try that is appropriate okay you want to get that out no problem well what can we do um, some other strategies are pushing. So that is an urge, like it's an urge for that aggression and that push and to get that surge of energy out um, for that testosterone, particularly around four. And so what can they push? Like what can they push? Like the other day there was a child and I was like, look, he's just really amped up. Like he just keeps annoying and poking and pushing. And he's, it was just really disruptive. Like I could see that it was really disruptive and his friends were getting quite annoyed. I was like, oh, you've got to be proactive, right? We've got to see the signs leading up to it and be really proactive with what we're going to do with that. So we found a blanket and I was like, okay, we'll put it in your locker. And he's like pushing, pushing, pushing. Because sometimes that's all it takes, just pushing and that pushing really using their muscles and testing out their muscles to push it and use those big muscle skills. Then <coughs> he was okay. The other option was I asked him, I said, "Do you are you ready? Do you want to have a run outside? And so we went outside and had a little run. We pushed the blanket and you can get the children even at the wall, like pushing the wall, quick, hold the wall up and play a game. And that also comes back to re like regulation and regulating our nervous system, that sometimes that is what we need. And again, it's just really recognizing and getting getting to know each individual child and knowing what they need. Parents, you know, they have one, two, three, um, actually met someone the other day that was a, si a sibling of eight, eight children. Um, but parents know their children. They know their cues. They know their cries. They know what they need. They don't even need to speak. So often parents won't notice language delays because they understand what their child's saying. And so from an education perspective and as an educator, teacher, practitioner, we need to know the children and have that relationship to know what they need. But we also need to be open 
minded and have all of the necessary resources and strategies and things available so that they can express that because we're not going to stop it but we need to look at how we can do that more appropriately and I just want to end today's episode by saying boys all they want is to know that they've done a good job have I done a good job even you know today growing up they just want to know you know I have I made you happy have I done a good job and I think that's with all humans they just want to know that they're doing a good job they just want to know that you're happy and they just want to know and they want us to know who they are as well so whilst there's lots of key similarities I want you to really focus on building those relationships and really getting to know and building those profiles. So having individual little profiles on each one of your children to be like, you know what, he loves this. I'm going to make sure when he comes into the classroom that I have this available for him on this day. So there's this little boy who loves dinosaurs. So every day, and even the mum, she's so great. She's like, look, he loves dinosaurs. If you have dinosaurs for him in the morning, he's just like in, in heaven. Like that is his thing, dinosaurs. And easy, great, have dinosaurs out so that he can go to that and be really familiar with that every day. Um, This, I was going to share something else, but it's gone. Anyway, whatever. You know what I mean? Off on a little tangent again. But I'm going to end the episode there. But please really, oh, that's what I was going to say. The other thing you can do for boys, you know how I said about the weekend and knowing what they do and asking them questions, is having a conversation with them in the morning. So as they come in for the day, have that conversation and that connection straight away in the morning and it will limit and spend time with them, like actually play with them with something that they want to do for that morning period. Because remember, once you've won them, you've won them, you're in. And typically speaking, sometimes it does take more more than once and sometimes they forget so you need to revisit that each morning until you solidify that bond and that rapport with them um, and being consistent as well so if they do you know break a commitment that they do have consequences and that you do follow through with what they are as well so I'm going to leave it there um thanks so much for listening again this week promise to organize some dates around oh just so so much on um and happening which is so exciting and holding myself accountable for being here um with you guys every single week to share whatever I can and what's relevant in our sector right now but promise that I'll get some interviews lined up and make time to do that. So as always, um, if you would like to be a guest, because I'd love to have a conversation with you, even if you just have something to contribute, anything at all, or if you have a challenge and you want to talk through it on a podcast and just want some support, no problem. Um, Get in touch with me and don't forget to follow us on socials, either Lisa Brown Platinum Ed Group or Everything Early Childhood Facebook group as well. But until next week, keep making every moment count. Can't wait to hear about your beautiful relationships with all the boys in your service. So let's not forget them. Let's give them what they need and fill that gap. So until next week, keep making every moment count. Thanks for listening to the Everything Early Childhood podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. 
we read them all. <laughs> to catch all the latest from me, your host, Lisa Brown, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Lisa Brown underscore Platinum Ed. Thanks again for listening. Keep making every moment count and I'll see you next time. Oh, 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 o